Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Another great Tech Talk on board here. Happy Friday, everyone. We have two uh, great guests, really different types of technology, but very interesting and innovative in their own light. So first, we're going to talk to Martha Johnson, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Hyper. Hi, Joey. Nice to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And then we're going to talk to Stan Deek, who's the GM of North America for Skydemo. Joey, thanks for having me. Wonderful to be here. Absolutely. Okay, so Hyper, and for everyone following along, Hyper is spelled H-Y-P-U-R. Correct. Okay. Um, So we have actually had, I'm trying to think if we've had more than one. We've had another company that serves the cannabis space, Flores Software, on this show, but it's been about a year or so. Um, And and so we're going to talk a lot about um, cannabis and the impact it's making on uh, business and uh, you know, why you guys exist to make it a little bit easier for both consumers and businesses to transact in that space. But really, you know, more than cannabis, you act in the regulated space. And I'd love for you to give a, give a definition of what the regulated space is and just high level what Hyper's mission is. Sure, absolutely. So the regulated space for us is really defined as those markets that are underserved Um, from a banking perspective, right? Um, That means it's difficult for them to be able to get financial institutions to be able to provide banking services to them. Um, And then also the ability for consumers to be able to pay for their products with something other than cash. So things like that would be obviously cannabis, um, psychedelics, which was on the ballots this year as well too. Uh, Then you're also talking uh, gaming, gambling, or some of the high-regulated spaces. Um, And what we do in that space, and we really started focusing in the cannabis space, and and the majority of our team actually comes from what we call everyday transactions, right? So that's what you and I are used to when we go to Starbucks or go somewhere to pay for our product. Our team started in banking, and they realized that um, from a regulated industry, there's actually a big, huge gap. And that is the ability for the financial institutions to really be able to see to understand, to know the customer, to do the effective due diligence, but to do it in an automated way where they could actually onboard merchants, right? So once the merchants are able to have the financial institutions, then they're able to use other services outside of cash to pay for their products. We're talking about such a basic piece of running a business. And right. uh, look, the the businesses and verticals that you just named are ones that have a bit of a stigma um, that I guess, you know, have a vice and vice adjacent reputation in the minds of some. Mm -hmm. But as you and I were talking about before we, you know, hit record on this, there are 15 states right now Mm -hmm. that have, uh, that have legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, It's, it's truly unbelievable. We're talking about literally almost a third of the country that doesn't just have medicinal marijuana, has recreational marijuana where you can buy it just like you can alcohol. And yet this is an industry that is underbanked and still relies on cash. So why is that, why are those systems so far behind what's actually happening on the ground? Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. Um, Technology-wise, to be honest with you, in the, in the cannabis space, I'm not going to talk about it, the, the broad regulated, but from cannabis itself, we have a lot of amazing technology. And technology that's actually more advanced than what we see in certain instances when it comes to everyday um, markets because of the fact that if you think about we're still in infancy 
but we were able to start with a catapult of technology, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been able to see what's happened in traditional. A lot of people that have come from traditional have come into this space, and what they've brought with them is their knowledge of technology, more, more cloud-based, more machine learning, more artificial intelligence, right? So the technology is absolutely there. I think what you're finding and what we are seeing and the reason why we exist is because there is a stigma, and I'll, I'll stick with cannabis today. There's such a stigma with cannabis that, you know, consumers, sometimes they don't even want to let people know that they use it. Medical patients might be not really forthcoming that they use cannabis instead of using some sort of traditional opioid, right, to change or to help with what they need. And from that perspective, I think um, what we are doing is we're helping legitimize by a few ways. One, being able to provide the banking institutions, the compliance software that they need, and that's called HyperComply. So that means we're able to automate it in a way and do it in a way today that's scalable and actually even more scalable and more advanced than the traditional banking services exist today and every day, Uh right? So that's one. Just because you have to be super compliant, there's so many rules and regulations that you've got to make sure that you've got a software and a system from a banking institution to be able to see that and understand what they're doing. So we provide the what, when who, how, if you will, for payments when it comes to cannabis for banks to be able to see it. The other part is around the hyperpay portion of things. What you'll find in this industry is, you know, because there is such a stigma to cannabis, whether it's been legalized or not or whether it's medicinal or not, that the stigma is that it's something that's wrong or the stigma is something that I need to use cash or, you know, it's almost like the way I like to equate it is it's in the dark, Right. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're trying to do is shine light on it to say, look, with this technology, with what Hyper does, we're able to give all the financial institutions the visibility. And then we're really striving to give the consumers the ability to pay for their products or their medical product in a way that's more in line with every day. So it's safer. So we were when COVID hit, we were actually the first one to be able to launch a truly contactless form of being able to pay for cannabis, whether it was in store or, you know, for delivery or for pickup. That I'd, I want to touch upon what you mentioned with the stigma and those who you gave the example of maybe not wanting to admit that you're using it for mm-hmm. medicinal purposes, but being totally fine talking about, you know, your prescription for Oxycontin. Right. Um, it's just, it's, look, it's, it's marketing, it's human psychology. It truly is incredible that a pill that has a chemical makeup that is closer to that of heroin is more and obviously there's been controversy about that in recent years for for good reason but that just because it's something that is written on a prescription pad that you can get at a Rite Aid that it has quote-unquote more legitimacy than a plant Mm -hmm. uh, that has just been federally illegal for a long time right right um okay so so let's talk about the business side of things so we've the reason you exist is because, look, it can be complicated for consumers and businesses to transact in this space. And so are there any sort of resources that Hyper provides for consumers as well as businesses, both on the, the actual you know, cannabis distribution provider side as well as the banking side to understand what's out there that lets them stay within a legal framework and also not have to deal in cash all the time? 
Yeah. Um, so there's two parts. I mean, if you look at our customer base and who our targets are, and, and as chief marketing officer, it makes my job really complex, um, but really fun. Excuse me. I called you COO earlier. You're chief marketing chief officer. Marketing I apologize officer. for that. That's okay. Yes. I didn't catch that one either. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've got what, who we market to is we market to the financial institutions, which is what we talked about with our hyper comply services, right? We market to the merchants. The merchants are the ones that actually provide the recreational or medicinal cannabis products. Mm-hmm. And then we market to the consumers um, and the patients, right? Um, so for us, we really have three different targets um, or, or consumer base that we work with. A lot of what we do is really we spend a lot of time educating in this space, right? Um, specifically when it comes to banking best practices. We've been here the longest. We've been here for six years We've seen a lot of players come and go, and the reason why they come and go is because if you think about a market as hot as cannabis is, some people just try to come in and really just capitalize on how hot the market is, and I'm going to put something in market. Whether they're taking the time to legitimize it or not, that's what we're actually seeing is that they're saying, okay, we can provide this payment service. An example is um, reverse and cashless ATMs. I don't know if you're familiar with those and, and how they work. Have you? Oh, you, uh, you know, I've heard of them, but I can't say that I'm terribly familiar. Okay. Um, so what these are is these are actually devices. These are ATM devices, if you will, that are, are being put in merchant stores. They're actually, they're, they're not legitimate. Um, it's not a legitimate way of being able to pay because those that are providing the ATMs that don't give you cash, that's why their cash is a reverse. You go in, you put in your debit card. You then get, as a consumer, you get a hefty fee, but then you get a piece of paper that you then take to your bud tender and say, okay, bud tender, here's my piece of paper. I just pulled out $100. I'm going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then they take, the ca- they take the paper and then they transact on the point of sale. The reason why that's not scalable and sustainable today is because typically, if, if anyone, if you look on your debit card, you're going to see a branded card. Right. And those branded card networks today are not providing banking services in cannabis until it's actually federally decriminalized. So, so what happens in that, in that situation? I've got a Visa debit card, right? I go to this machine. I get charged a fee. I give, you know, basically, a, you know, a voucher for 100 bucks to, um, you know, the cashier. Mm-hmm. What does my bank do? Your bank isn't going to see that. Your bank is just going to see that you've actually Hold money out of your account. It, it, to them, it's like I just took a hundred bucks in cash out. To them, it's like you took a hundred bucks in cash out. Right, that's correct. And the banks that are actually providing the banking services for those ATMs are not aware that those ATMs are actually put into a physical cannabis store. Mm-hmm. What they see, if again that provider is not transparent with their bank, what they're going to see is that I have an ATM that's actually sitting in some commercial property. They're not going to know that it's cannabis, sure. and that's the part of not being transparent with the banking institution. So for us, with the services that we provide, we our banking partners know exactly what payment services we're providing to who we're providing the payment services for. And they are regional banks that are actually in states that have already approved of cannabis, whether it's medicinal, whether it's recreational. So they, too, know. They, they too, are obviously banking in this space. So it's very transparent and very legitimate. With the forms that we do. Okay, so, so let's talk about the banks that are, that are leaping into this, okay? Mm-hmm. For, from our previous conversation, it sounds like it's really not the big boys that are taking the risks here. It's Correct. the more kind of state and local regional banks, credit unions, um, 
that, that are operating within that community that are putting themselves out there and getting into this line of business. That's correct. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, it's a big business, right? Well, of, of course, of course, yes. Uh, so I, I recognize the, the financial imperative, mm-hmm. but why them and why not the biggest of banks? Um, look, I mean, you hit it earlier, right? There's a stigma. Mm-hmm. There's a stigma that's associated, whether it's legalized or not, until it's decriminalized, until it's federally approved, you're going to find that the bigger banks, um, that the branded card networks are not going to get into the space, regardless of how lucrative it is, until it's actually just approved by everyone. And, and there can be a lot of reasons. It can be because the board says, no, hey, mm-hmm. it's going to impact our brand. It can be the, hey, let's wait and see. And I, I believe that once, you know, we are to a point where it's actually decriminalized, it's federally approved, you are going to see them jump and they're going to jump really fast. Do, do, you, do you really think – okay, so the path that we've seen right now is that each state has acted as their own fiefdom, okay? They've essentially said, look, the federal government either isn't going to act, doesn't want to act, is too big to act on this, and so we're going to take, you know, our – lives are, are, you know, we're going to take this into our own hands, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first couple that were done were probably the ones that you would expect, right? The Californias and the Washingtons of the world. And and someone, you know, um, from maybe a more conservative part of the country or in D.C. can dismiss that. Okay, when you start to see places like South Dakota and like Arizona do this, as we saw just last Tuesday, you know, it's a little bit harder to dismiss. And so, I'm curious if you really think that the federal government's going to get its act together and do anything about this before the states all, at a certain point, just take it upon themselves. Huh. Um, you know, I think what you're seeing, I'll start with the patterns of what we're seeing in the industry. Um, so obviously, the I think the, the least conservative states are already there. You mentioned California, the West Coast, right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of folks have already been in this industry. They start with medicinal. That's the part that's really key is you start seeing that they've started with medicinal and they've been medicinal for a certain amount of time before they actually vote to go wreck. Yeah. How medicinal starts is it actually starts with a few certain things that you're treating. It's not the broad blanket, anyone who needs it. You're, you're going to start with whether it's PTSD, whether it's anxiety, whether it's insomnia, right? You're going to start with something small and then you start expanding the base. And that's what you've seen in Georgia. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, that's what you're seeing here in Georgia, and you're seeing in other states outside of South Dakota who just went bang-bang. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think for every state, a couple things. It's a way for those that started earlier, they're leading the path. For those that are now starting to get into it, I believe that there, there are so many lessons learned that are available from the states that went before uh, I think that there's such an advantage when it comes to revenue for the state for more job creation, right? Um, and also for being able to treat medical patients that really do need this, uh, is most importantly. Um, but I think as each state goes on to do it, they're going to continue doing it, and I believe that federal will come afterwards. I don't, I don't know if federal coming in is going to make it. It might make it a little bit faster time to market. Mm-hmm. It might make it something that's doesn't have the stigma, but I don't think it's going to change the rate and the pace at which the states are going to start to further legitimize, whether it's going big bang and doing both like South Dakota did or starting with medical like Georgia is, and then maybe eventually looking at rec. I think for every state, it's still going to come down to that local government, that state government to say, hey, this is working for me. What is happening to my community? Yes, my community is still 
intact and happy in crime. And there's so many other parts to it that they need to see for themselves, right? Look, a little healthy competition between states is a very good thing. Um, I think it's how a lot of things get done in this country. We have, you know, a federalist system for a reason. Um, You know, it allows states to take, you know, obviously within certain confines to take, you know, their fate into their own hands. You're going to see that with New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, New Jersey, New York. You're going to see the domino effect in New England, I believe, and in those northern states just because you have Maryland, you have New Jersey, you have New York, you have Connecticut, Massachusetts. They're all so close that why am I losing my revenue to someone having to go to Vermont, right, to buy their – or to Massachusetts to buy their product when I could be providing it to you? The the way that I think of this – so you mentioned Maryland, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so D.C. is recreationally legal at this point, Mm -hmm. which essentially means that – Montgomery County and uh, Northern Virginia, right? Because all you got to do is just drive into DC. Right. So, you know, if I were those two states, I say, okay, well, there's a way for our citizens to get it anyway. Why don't we take advantage of this? It's almost, I, I think about road trips as a kid when fireworks used to be illegal in Georgia, right? (laughs) Right. And you cross over the state line to Alabama or Tennessee, Mm -hmm. and there is just the you know, 50,000. You'd hoard it, right? You'd, Absolutely. You'd buy it and put it in your car. You'd, yes. Right. And you'd have to get enough to last you until the next road trip. Right. Um, and, right. you know, eventually Georgia legalized fireworks. Uh, obviously, a little yeah. bit less of a controversial subject, but, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, it comes down to stigma. It, it really does. I mean, I think it's interesting when you look at the demographics, right? I mean, let's look at the state of Florida. The highest... Uh, Age users, if you will, or demographic are those that are 55 and older, mm-hmm. right? Um, and their preferred modality or their preferred way is, is actually flower. Um, so they enjoy the roll. They enjoy the flower versus taking it for the edibles or the tinctures mm-hmm. or the pens. Um, and so that, you know, that to me is always interesting because I think about that going, okay, wow, it's like they're they're happy now, right? I mean, this is what they were maybe doing when they were younger and now it's legitimate and we can do it. Um, and so I think once people start seeing that, hey, this is okay and believing that it's okay and then also most importantly, you know, corporations that are, are demanding and doing these drug tests, I think that also makes it really complicated as well too. But you're seeing less and less of that. I, 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 it, it, it takes a lot of different players along the supply chain of mm-hmm. approval. And when I say approval, I mean societal approval right. um, to, to really get behind it. Um, yes, the, the, the employer not dinging someone for, you know, something that, let's be honest, probably everyone in the, in the executive boardroom has done at one point in their lifetime. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So let, let's, let's talk about marketing, okay? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, part of that has to that it plays partially into reducing stigma, but also, of course, into advancing your brand and what you're really involved in. You have a very interesting marketing challenge because you are, you have so many people, groups, right? Yes. You mentioned three in particular mm-hmm. that you're trying to get this message out to. And so if I were in your shoes, it would be at one time a very interesting intellectually stimulating challenge and another time, you know, a little bit frustrating of, God, how do I segment, you know, these groups and, and tailor the message to them differently? So I'm curious how you've been approaching that since you came on board. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, one, each state has its own rules and regulations. Got that too. Yep. Yeah. So, you, so you have that too. Uh, which makes it difficult when we talk about incentives and promotions and what we try to do at the merchant level, right, to be able to drive more business to the merchant. 
And then from a consumer perspective, you have the stigma that we've been talking about, right? Of Or or you have the, the sense of privacy of, oh, I, I don't want anyone to know, or I don't want my banking institution to know that I'm actually, you know, I'd prefer to use cash versus using debit, mm-hmm. just because I don't want that transaction on my record. Um, and then for our financial institutions, you know, I mean, from the financial institution perspective, the need is pretty consistent. It's legitimate, uh, legitimizing sustainability. It's the technology. It's the automation of doing the due diligence and knowing that merchant and, and having to be able to do, again, the who, what, when, and where of payments, which which what we do today. I think the most challenging part is when you look at merchants in each state, um, operators across the states, and then the consumer behavior, which is going to change with, you know, the frequency of the days of the week that they buy their product, the age, the type of product. I mean, it varies so much. And where I try to hold the line consistent when we start looking and talking about how do we get our message out there and what kind of broad message can we do to continue to uh, to build our brand and make brand awareness is what value are we adding to the merchant, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I think regardless of whatever state you're in, Uh, whatever merchant or whatever operator, most importantly, is what value does my payment processor, uh, does my partner actually provide? Um, So we really try to focus on the value to the merchant, um, contactless digital payments, keeping them safe, reporting capabilities, right, new products that we're coming up with. It's about the sticky at the merchant side. From the consumer perspective, cash is going to be and continues to be one of our biggest competitions, right? Because that's what people are used to, um, as well as these illegitimate, uh, you know, uh, non-permissible uh, tools that are out there today, like the reverse and cashless ATMs. Those will go away because something that's not sustainable, transparent, and scalable just eventually over time, something will happen to it, right? It's, it's about doing the right thing and building it right. So from a consumer perspective, what we try to focus on is what is the consumer experience like? How seamless can I make it? Uh, what are the options that I can give the consumer and what value am I adding to the consumer? So, you know, we right now are sitting at the intersection of technology, digital, safety, right? Um, safety above all, not just safety for your data and your information, but your own personal safety with what we're going on in the world with today. Mm-hmm. And I think the more products that we come out with and that we're able to provide the consumer that give them the option and an option that's closer to every day and how we shop every day, I believe that that's where we're going to start getting, again, the consumer sticky, the consumer experience, where consumers want to continue to transact with us and where we can actually provide a way of we're really focused on rewarding and providing loyalty services to them. Look, it's 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 sorely needed, especially in this space. And obviously, your business, um, you know, applies to other verticals. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, th- th- this one seems to be the one that is, I would I would assume, the primary focus of your efforts. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Hyper is based in and was born in Scottsdale. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you know made a career and are based here in Atlanta. You recently right. came on board, and so uh, look, I'm sure part of this is just pure coincidence, right? You were the you know right talent, and you happen to be in Atlanta. But I'm curious if there is also a plan for Hyper to extend a footprint and a team um, to here in Atlanta based upon you know, the talent that we've got and kind of needs that you have as you as you grow this thing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that that for us is certainly, you know, as we grow, it's about being able to open more jobs 
um, and for sure being here in Atlanta is is obviously one that I'm partial to and being able to build something here as well, too. So it is something that we do discuss for future growth. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, look, this, this is a very interesting conversation, a lot of work to be done, but I'm glad to hear there's someone who's leading the charge. If someone listening wants to learn more about Hyper, how can they do that? Well, um, I mean, we've got lots of information that's out there. You can find us online, and then from there, you can always reach out to us, whether it's from a sales or from a care perspective. Actually, all of our care and all support is here onshore um, in in Arizona, so uh, you can always get in touch with us. Okay, and as a reminder, everyone, H-Y-P-U-R. Martha, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you. Okay, Stan, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Excellent. So, you know, Stan, actually, not that it was planned this way, but both the companies that we have on today are, you know, based elsewhere. And, you know, both of you have recently come on to leadership positions here in Atlanta. So we we definitely have some interesting things to talk about on that front. Um, Skynamo is actually based in South Africa. Correct. Yeah, we're headquartered in a town outside of Cape Town. So the, the headquarters is in a city called Stellenbosch. Um, and that's where the majority of our staff is. So we're roughly a uh, hundred people. Uh, we have an office in Johannesburg, uh, which is probably you know ten or so people, maybe fifteen. Uh, and then our office in, here in Atlanta, uh, an office in London. But the majority of the people are in Stellenbosch, which is just outside Cape Town. Okay. And let's go high level. Um, what the company does and how you got teamed up, and kind of sure. what what your mission is right now. Yeah. So the. It, our technology is made for field sales reps. So if you're a field sales rep or someone who, imagine a salesperson who gets up in their, uh, and gets in their car every single day, they're driving around from meeting to meeting to meeting, uh, whether they're actually doing orders in a, in a B2B facility, right? It could be an industrial manufacturing facility. It could be a, a distributor rep for uh, a beer supplier. Even in California, we have some, leading back to our prior conversations, we have some uh, you know, cannabis suppliers, something like that. They're out, and they have a particular workflow that they need to manage when they're on site. We make a mobile platform, so it's really a mobile CRM-type solution to make the lives of those field salespeople much, much easier. Because what we're talking about are people that are used to basically scribbling a bunch of notes on paper right now. Yeah, precisely, right? Our biggest competitor is pen and paper. Um, <laughs> it's pen and paper. It's texting the home office after you've left a meeting. It's it's taking all your notes at the end of the day and then typing your notes into an email at yep. the end of the day or even worst-case scenario, waiting till Friday. And doing it all on Friday, when right? You've forgotten so, half the conversation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we um, create a really simple technology designed specifically to make the lives of field salespeople easier. It's like just when you think that there's no other analog process out there that can be disrupted with technology, one presents itself. It's it's really incredible. Like it's like the same way that I feel about um, suitcases with wheels, right? Like at a certain point, someone just decided. I'm just going to put wheels on this thing. So I don't right. have to, you know, it, 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 why wasn't that obvious earlier? You know, it's super interesting because if you think just about the history of salespeople, the history of salespeople are people out in the field going business to business and yeah. trying to sell something. And through the evolution of technology and, and, you know, enterprise SaaS, whatever it might be, you know, enterprise salespeople have had wonderful technologies for many years. Uh, the evolution of inside sales has led to many tremendous technologies for inside sales. And the field salesperson, the original salesperson is the person who's been left behind. And so what we're trying to do is create that world-class technology to give a field salesperson the same type of wonderful technology that their peers have. What is the background of the founders that they knew this problem so acutely and decided to solve it? Yeah, so I think um, it's it's actually a very interesting story. So uh, the the founders started the technology um, for doing cell phone um, service check-ins. 
So think of going to see a cell phone tower in the middle of a field, and you have a particular workflow that you have to do, and you have to inspect the tower, you have to inspect the grounds, you have to do whatever it might be, um, and, and you needed a mobile device to be able to do that. They took that technology, told some of their friends about it, and were like, hmm, I wonder if my, my salespeople could use something like that. So they really pivoted the technology from a service product, from a, a cell phone tower inspection product, mm-hmm. to, a, to a sales technology, and that's really when the company took off. One of those unintended consequences that you find only just by existing in exactly. the world. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that was seven, eight years ago, and, uh, and so they pivoted to, to really you know, focus on field sales roughly seven years ago. And then we launched here in the States earlier this year. And that was largely, you know, kind of under, under your leadership. What, what is your background and what drew you to kind of lead the U.S. arm of this operation? Yeah, sure. So, again, the company is in South Africa. 99% of the customers are there. We have roughly 1,000 customers. Um, South Africa is a, is a great town, uh, or I'm sorry, a great you know, country with you know, many millions of people. But GDP-wise, it's roughly the same size as Metro Atlanta. Um, yeah, so you have all those people, and the out- output is the same size as Texas or, 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 I'm sorry, Dallas or Atlanta. So in order for the company to, to expand globally, we had to go raise um, funds. So we have a wonderful uh, private equity partner called Five Elms Capital out of Kansas City. Uh, they've done a, a wealthy, or um, I'm sorry, a, a really nice investment into the business that mm-hmm. gave us the opportunity to expand uh, internationally. My background is in helping build SaaS uh, businesses. Um, you know, my last company was a, a mobile platform, uh, really for the live events industry, but it was very similar if you think about it. It was in the ticketing space, which is really just an inventory control platform, and it's a mobile platform. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, an inventory management solution quite often that's designed to be a mobile platform. So totally different industry, very similar technologies. Um, and so you know, I was very uh, excited when I was approached through a, through a mutual contact to say, hey, you know, there's this company got a lot of customers. They're getting a good investment. They just need somebody who wants to you know, dig in and, and help grow this thing here in the States. And it sounded like you're just a really fun challenge. Was- yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is that from a, from a leadership perspective, you're stepping into a um, – you're, you're, you're not CEO founder, right? The product has already been developed, okay? But – you know, really, this is it's kind of a greenfield operation for the company. I mean, like, yes, obviously, you have a you know a well established company in South Africa, but you might as well be a startup here in the states. And, and so, I'm I'm very interested in the opportunities and challenges that presents, and how you're taking your past experience to lead and really build what is essentially a new company here in Atlanta. Yeah, so it's a really interesting um, question, right? Because we do have a, a, a sizable business in a different country in a different continent that has different cultures and different business practices. And so if you think about the evolution of business, you, know, you go from startup to reaching some sort of scale to scale up. And so we have one part of the business that's in that scale up phase and the other part of the business here in, in Atlanta that's in, this, in the startup phase, right? Um, you know, you, I think if you talk about just some of the business differences and cultural differences, um, there are some things we, we really have to um, even change in how we, we think about the product. So a great example, um, you know, one, of our, one of the reps on my team is from South Africa. He's, he's moved over here. And uh, he said a few years ago they could count the number. You know, they had thousands and thousands of Android users, but they could count. Like we had a couple dozen iOS users. Here oh. it's totally backwards. <laughs> Flipped, yeah. To- right? So you know, one of the things we had to do is say, like, oh, wow, we really need to focus on iOS, right? So that was just culturally very different. Um, you know, we talked about payments uh, in, in the prior conversation. Uh, you know, our technology in, in the States, you know, 
businesses are used to paying everything via credit card. In South Africa, businesses are used to invoicing each other, which is, is slightly different. So it still happens, obviously, here. But it's just one of those just sort of business differences. So we, you know, we're, we're, we, we know we have a great product. It's incredibly competitive. We know it's priced really, really well. You know, we get into sales environments. It, it demos really, really well. And, and, and we've got a couple wonderful customers already. What we really need to do is America's so big. We've got to kind of find, find a sweet spot, right? Who, sure. who are the best targets for us? We have some terrific partnerships. So if you think of Sage here, uh, has a huge presence yep. in, in, in Atlanta. Uh, we have a wonderful partnership with Sage. We have a wonderful partnership with a number of other large ERP and accounting platform providers for just because we've had this great history of a business. And so we can lean on some of those as well. And so it's really then just sort of finding, like, with, you know, limited people, limited energy, limited dollars, how do you best use that to, to, to like, like a true startup, mm-hmm. and, and, and test, iterate, test, iterate, test, iterate, and really until you find your sweet spot. Well, well let's talk about that sales process because um, you, you are in a unique position in which you are selling a product mm-hmm. that helps salespeople. And I have often found um, that, you know, a lot – it's not, yes, of course, product matters, right? But it's also the process of being sold to um, and, and, wh- and how you interact with the prospect um, and the type of technology and tactics that you use in that sales process. And so when you're out there um, really trying to figure out where to focus your time, mm-hmm. are we lo- talking about certain industries? Um, uh, clearly, it's a specific type of role, but how are you narrowing the field? Sure. Yeah. So we're specifically designed for manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors, okay. right? So that's an, that's sort of an easy way to to limit things. Um, and then really, our sweet spot is going to be, you know, companies probably bigger than fifty employees, but maybe less than five hundred to a thousand right now, right? So we can can narrow it down that way as well. Um, again, we can lean and sort of channel through some of our our channel partners that we already have and focus through those integrations. We have a lot of really great integrations already, so that helps us narrow our focus as well. But, well, you know, we need to look at particular industries, right? Mm-hmm. So um, food distributors are, like, one of those industries. Are, there are food distributors nationally, every state, right? So we can go and we can look at um, a particular business segment, and then we can try to find within that segment um, where can we talk to the owner. You know, if we know that there's a, an integration that – this is where it gets really interesting. If it's an integration discussion, quite often we're either dealing with the owner of a small business or IT and finance. If there's no integration requirement, we're talking with the owner and sales. Sure. So you have two totally different talk tracks, depending on if you're talking to IT and finance or you're talking to sales. And so then the story becomes, you know, the, the needs of each different potential buyer are very, very different. And is the 50 to 500 rationale that you're generally talking about a shorter sales cycle, um, maybe less decision, fewer decision makers, as well as a company that might not have already in place technology that could be at least perceived as competitive? It's mostly the latter, right? Once you get to an organization of that size, um, you talk earlier about, um, or we spoke earlier about the fact that, you know, pen and paper is still our number one competitor. That's, that's at the lower end of the market. Once mm-hmm. you get to a company that's, you know, 500, 1,000, many, many more people, they have the team and they have the infrastructure and, the, and really the demand and requirements to have put a technology in place. Not that we couldn't go in and displace that technology, but we know that, you know, I'd rather fish right now where there's nobody else fishing in the pond sure. um, as opposed to, you know, fishing in a pond with a whole bunch of other folks. Yeah. So, so um, you know, you took this role at the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a weird year to say the least, um, especially for those, um, including yours truly that, you know, have a lot of face-to-face interaction. Um, I think a lot of us are getting back to that. Um, we're all right here sitting right in front of each other. Um, but, 
I imagine it's been a little bit, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, is, has, has it been something that hampered the first couple of months of, you know, the the ramp up? Are things getting back to normal? What, what's yeah. going on in that front? Yeah, so it, it definitely um, altered our plans quite a bit from, mm-hmm. a, from a variety of reasons. You know, if, if just in terms of building the business, we were going to have a lot of people, a lot of our leadership team come here. Right, and they were going to spend many, many months here. Coincidentally, our CMO's family lives in Kennesaw, which is a super small world. Um, this is the CMO who's from South Africa. No, no, no. He oh. actually he's born and raised here in Atlanta. Oh. He's lived there for thirty years. Interesting. So, uh, okay. so really interesting. But yeah, um, you know, we n- nobody was able to come and spend time here, right? So they weren't able to spend time. We haven't been able to spend time together as a leadership team, right? So we've heavily relied on on Zoom meetings and stuff. Um, so that was you know one key. Um, uh, key, key, just difference in building the business. We were also going to rely heavily on on events, like a lot of conferences. We had a ton of conferences planned that all just got canceled, right? So, um, so that's just our own sort of looking looking inward. If you think about the market itself, we sell for companies that have field salespeople, right? Um, and not a lot of field salespeople for quite a bit of the year were actually out doing visits, doing meetings. Um, you know, unfortunately, a number of businesses furloughed staff, laid off staff, um, or just cut back, just based on you know. A decrease in sales, whatever sure. it might be. And so although you know, they might really like our technology, it didn't become their number one priority. Right? Their number one priority was like keep the lights on, you yeah. know. Um, so, so things are definitely turning around. Um, I would say, you know, again, it's state by state. We were talking about earlier uh, and the, the state by state regulations. And I think, you know, being here in Atlanta, we've had the advantage of, you know, being out and seeing people and business picking back up. That's not the same way with field sales in particular around the rest of the country. So, mm-hmm. You know, one way that um, sort of manifests itself is is we take our SDR team, who's based in South Africa, we have them focus on the Sunbelt states, right? Focus on the states that are, particularly the Southeast. Totally. Right, and have them, you know, call into states that are more likely to be out doing meetings, whatever it might be, so... I have been. I've look. I've not not that I didn't enjoy being in Atlanta and in the state of Georgia before, but um, when I talk to colleagues of mine that are on the West Coast or in the Northeast, um, the look is this year a normal one for real estate? No, definitely <laughs> not. But um, the activity that has picked up and the traction that I think a lot of us are seeing for twenty one with people that are in a position to transact wanting to. It really is pretty specific to the Southeast, I, and I've just been—I'm I'm very thankful to, to, yeah, to be I would, here. Yeah. I would definitely agree. It's been—it's yeah. been really nice. You know, we've—we've we've traveled over the over the past few months. We've been to Alabama, we've been to South Carolina, and we've been to Florida, which are really the three states you know surrounding us that are that are also happen to be open. Yeah. Um, I've actually intentionally tried to speak with some acquaintances, former you know former uh, customers, whatever it might be, in other states. Um, very recently, just to hear what's going on. You know, cases are going up in, in Illinois. What does that mean for field sales? Um, and I had another friend who said he landed in Boston two weeks ago and it was like landing in a different planet. Wow. Um, so I, I, I definitely think, you know, it, it forces. You are asking earlier, you know, how do we narrow down a huge market like the United States and figure out how to target? This is, you know, sort of being forced upon us. It's a decent sorting, that, that yeah. sorting mechanism, yeah. So we've got a South African company that mm-hmm. shows Atlanta for their base of operations. All three of us sitting around the table here know why Atlanta's awesome. <laughs> Correct. Okay? Um, but, you know, are we, let, let's be honest, are we still typically mentioned in the top five or six gateway cities of this, of this country? No, not really. You know, we're probably in the, the latter, you know, the back half of the top ten, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've had companies on this show that have, 
relocated from Vancouver, from Finland, set up an operation just all over, right? This isn't just your, you know, it's too expensive in New York, and so now I'm down here. And so I am curious, how does a South African company choose, I think, what some people might see as little old Atlanta? All three of us know that's not the case, mm-hmm. but talk, talk me through that because it just, again, speaks volumes for our city, but what's the process? Sure. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll speak on behalf of the decision that was made, sure. like pre-me joining the business, right? So, um, but it's, it's, it's really all the reasons that, that, that we know by, by being residents of Atlanta. Um, you know, firstly, if you're going to be um, commuting or having to travel from South Africa to the United States, Atlanta is a, is, is a great jumping off point. Delta makes it incredibly easy. They've even made it easier to go from Atlanta to Joburg to Cape Town to Atlanta. And they've, they've made this direct flight, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that so that's terrific. Um, the time zone obviously was really important. So uh, interesting fact: South Africa doesn't change times. Uh, we do. So uh, so right now we have a seven hour time difference on the east coast, a ten hour time difference on the west coast. So they really were forced to be an east coast business. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know climate, cost of living. Um, you know the, the they spent actually a lot of time with the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, which took them around, showed them different parts of town. Um, they, they were really, really terrific in, in terms of showing off Atlanta. Um, and then, you know, I had actually um, been speaking with the company before they made the decision, and, and I felt like I was, I was part of the process. I, I got the CEO in to go meet with CEO of other Atlanta SaaS companies, so friends of mine that I worked with in the past, whether it was Scott Void at Full Story, you know, some folks at Terminus, um, things like that. And, and it was really, you know, they helped sell the, 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 the city as well, right? So, um, I think once you come here, Atlanta really sells itself. I, I would agree. There are a number of clients that I've got from out of state that you know are were at the time thinking of opening up some sort of concept here. And mm-hmm. you fly in and you take them around, and you know at the end of the day, you know in, in each occasion. But I, you know, like not that I was expecting to have a bad time, but I didn't expect to really just be as blown away as I was. There, 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 there is something special happening here, and I think that part of it is. We, we certainly have people who've grown up here, and my, myself included, but we have so many people from other places that bring their culture and opinions and different points of view that have made this place their home that it really just, like, yes, we are in the South, but it is a little bit hard to really nail down, like, what is the consistent attitude or culture of the city in, in, in a very good way. You just have a lot going on. Yeah. I think there's something for everyone. Well, I think one of the things that came across loud and clear to our, to our leadership team was, um, you know, you can call it Southern hospitality. You can call it whatever you want. Yeah. Everybody's very willing to help out. Um, and, and people were eager to show Atlanta off, right. And eager to have other companies relocate to Atlanta or set up a headquarters in Atlanta. And that was from other business leaders from the chamber of commerce, from the, from the uh, commercial real estate community, whatever it was, um, people were super eager to have, um, you know, Skynamo come to Atlanta, like recruited them to, to town. Right. So, um, you speak of other just natural things that, that where Atlanta's positioned. And again, you know, our travel infrastructure makes it the rest of the country really accessible. You know, you, you know, you can get to the majority of the country in less than two hours. Um, and so uh, that, that's a that's a huge benefit for for being for being here. And then again, great schools, great cost of living, low taxes, all the other stuff that we know because we live here. Totally, totally. I, I think that because there are so many people here from other places, that there is every a lot of people were strangers at one point. A lot of people were new, and so there is that pay it forward attitude of you know I don't care that you're new now and mm-hmm. I'm established. I'm going to treat you 
as if you've been here. Yeah. You know, you can call it Southern hospitality, um, but it that definitely shows. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, so, uh, if someone wants to learn more about Skynamo, which is spelled S K Y N like Nancy, A M like Mary O. Think about Dynamo, right? If you want to be a sales Dynamo. There we go. Look for Skynamo. That's a there nice little go. play on words there. I like That's it. Right. Okay. So, Julian so, or CMO. <laughs> so, so how do they get in touch and how do they find out more? Absolutely right. So we're at Skynamo.com. We're extremely active on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, whatever it might be. We do a lot of webinars. Um, we try to do a lot of these types of podcasts. We have great content available. So Skynamo.com. Look us up on Twitter. Look us up on LinkedIn. You can find me here in Atlanta. I'm at Stan at Skynamo.com. Great. Martha, Stan, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Joey. Thank you.